Well, I greet you again tonight in the lovely name above all names, the one of whom they just sang. Thank you, Lord. It's good to be back with you this evening on this, the third night of our missions conference here at Charity Baptist Church. I know Wednesday night was a good night, even though I was not able to be here. Brother Ken preached and Brother Wilson, Sarah Polly was here, and you got to hear his testimony. I know Brother Wilson, and I know of his burden for his people, and I know of his efforts to reach his people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are unsung heroes all the way throughout the body of Christ, scattered throughout this world, that have given themselves to the cause of Christ to reaching their people with the greatest story that was ever told, and that's the gospel. And what a privilege it is to have a part in their ministry. Uh, As the Charity Baptist Church takes on missionaries and sends them to the fields, they are just an extension of your ministry. They're an extension of your hand. With them, by them, and through them, you're reaching into these different countries And uh, whatever fruit that they experience, Paul said in Philippians 4, that that is fruit that abounds to your account. And understanding that they're an extension of your ministry, know this, and I say this everywhere I go, that when you're preaching and they're sleeping uh, because of the the size of the earth and the fact that The sun doesn't shine on the whole earth at one time. It shines on one side of the earth while it's dark on the other side of the earth. While you're preaching and they're sleeping, you're sleeping, they're preaching. And know this, that because they're an extension of your ministry, the sun never sets on the ministry of Charity Baptist Church. It never sets on the ministry of this church, and that's a blessing to know. I enjoyed the... uh, I enjoyed the uh, video we just watched. That's the second time I heard it. We had it played in our church a few years back uh, during one of our missions conferences. As a matter of fact, our church this year, uh, this coming year, is about to have our 54th annual World Missions Conference Revival. And here just a few years ago, <clears throat> we played this. And, uh, boy, that's a, that's a powerful powerful video and it's a powerful testimony to the power of the word of God know this that uh, uh, that uh, the effect of witnessing has nothing to do with your height weight or looks it has nothing to do with your polished ability to present it all the power is in the word of God It has nothing to do with the package that it comes in. The power is in the word. That's why I love the old hymns. I used to tell our people, we have two hymn books in this church. We have the HIM book, and we love the old King James at Parkwood Baptist Church. That's what we use, and that's what I'll always use. I love the old King James. We have the HIM book, and then we have the HYMN book. And we're not getting rid of either one of them, as long as I'm the pastor. And I said, uh, what makes the, and this is the difference between the hymns 
and a lot of the contemporary songs you hear of today. And that is that these hymns may not be in the Bible, but the Bible is in them. And that's what makes a song powerful. It's not the beat. It's not, you know, the notes. It's the Word of God inside those hymns. Just the other day, Joni and I were two weeks in, 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 in the country of Israel. And while we, were in, while we were in Jerusalem, we went over to the pool of Bethesda, and it's the actual pool of Bethesda. It's where the, it's where the Jews used to bring their sheep in. And they would cleanse them and purify them there in the pool of Bethesda and take them up through the eye of the needle, that gate going up on Temple Mount, and they would present them for sacrifice. And you can still go and see that pool of Bethesda. They have it dug out down to those platforms down there where that man was sitting when Jesus came. And he didn't have to get in the water because Jesus is the water. The Lord healed him. And right up on top of that pool is a church called St. Anne's Church. Uh, They say that it was built in memory of Mary's mother. Mary's mother's name was Anne. And the church is known for its acoustics. You can go in there and sing, and the sound just vibrates off those walls. And we went in there the other day, and we sang, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith. In his excellent word. And boy, I'll tell you what. There for just a season, God got so big inside that little old church and people started worshiping and shouting and praising the Lord. So much so that the priest had to come in and ask us to tone it down a little bit. I guess he just didn't know what we know. Because it's not about a system. It's about a savior. It's not about a building. It's about a relationship with the Son of God. And so I was thinking of that, listening to that testimony, the powers in the Word of God, that little old gray-haired man. Only eternity will tell the extent of his witness. But all he did was ask a simple question, but he gave the dynamite of God into the hands of those. And look what happened. Look at the resounding testimony of that man's labor. Kind of reminds me of Dr. Charles Spurgeon not long after Dr. Spurgeon had surrendered to preach. He stopped. Uh, God was really working in his heart and dealing with him. And one night he was by himself and he was on a stroll. He was on a walk. And he just got so full that he stopped and he began to preach to the trees. He was standing on a bridge. And he just began to preach to the darkness and preach to the night and preach to the trees. Dr. Spurgeon Spurgeon preached till he was done. Years later, a gentleman approached Charles Spurgeon in downtown England. He said, Dr. Spurgeon, you don't know me, but I know you. He said, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I've been saved because one night I was a drunk. I was a vagrant sitting under a bridge. And out of nowhere, you came and you stood at the top of that bridge and you preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. My heart was challenged. I gave my heart to Christ that night and I come to you to tell you today that your labor was not in vain. 
1 Corinthians 15 and 58 says, and finally, brethren, he said there, he said in verse 58, he said, uh, let me read it to you. I don't want to, I don't want to misquote it. I should be able to remember it. I've quoted it so many times over the years, but I, I, I don't want to misquote it to you, but here it is. He said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Listen to this, for as much as ye know, your labor is not in vain. Isaiah said that his word accomplishes the purpose to which is sent, and it never returns void. So you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have an appealing voice or a cunning presentation. All you have to be is a willing vessel and give out the word of God and put it into the hands of people and ultimately it will make its way into their hearts. And when it does, it and it alone can change their life. That indeed is what missions is about. Charles Spurgeon said that missions is simply this. It's just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. There it is. That's what this conference is about. It is all about fulfilling the great commission of Matthew 28 verses 19 through 20. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Luke chapter 24, verses 47 through 48. John chapter 21, verses 12 through verse 15. And Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. That not only is what missions is about, but as Dr. Bill Allen, my father's good friend, and a good friend of mine who's with the Lord tonight. As he often said, and I never heard him miss when he preached on missions. Men like Bill Allen and Gerald Rose and Joe West challenged my heart in preaching missions. Dr. Bill Allen used to say that Jesus' first recorded words in the Bible was at 12 years of age, and those words was a question. He asked his mother, know you not, that I must be about my father's business. And Jesus' last recorded words in Scripture The Great Commission, those five renditions, tells us what his father's business is. And that is to take the word of God to the world. Folk, that's what the church ought to be doing. The church is getting lost in social causes, educational causes, and political causes. But the only cause that is of great concern is the cause of Christ and the cause of the gospel. That's what these missions conferences are all about. I hope we've summed it up in a succinct way that will edify your hearts. John 3.16 tonight. I'm going to preach from the most well-known scripture in Bible. As a matter of fact, dearly beloved, beloved, if there is one scripture in the Bible that is a poster child for Christianity, it's John 3.16. It is not only the most well-known scripture in the Bible, it is the most quoted scripture in the Bible. 
I'm an avid sports fan. I don't watch it near as much now as I did before politics got into it. But I can remember as a little boy often seeing fans in the stands, and I believe they were motivated rightfully, wanting to be a witness for Jesus Christ, holding up a sign, and it didn't say Zechariah 1 and 8. It said John 3. 16. John 3.16 not only has enough truth in it to save the world, but when it comes to describing the gospel, John 3.16 has all the truth in it to save every soul on the face of this earth. I'm going to read the verse tonight, but before I do, one of the things that has been my pursuit as God has called Joni and I into this ministry of motivating and mobilizing churches for missions, for world evangelization. One of my pursuits, dearly beloved, has been to search the Scripture, to scour the Scripture, asking the Lord to give me missions messages that are true to the context. It is not my job to impose my will on the Scripture. It is my job to allow the Scripture to impose its will on me. That's what biblical exposition is. And as I have embraced this pursuit, I have found, dearly beloved, that missions is not just a scattered subject throughout the landscape of Scripture. Missions is in every book in the Bible. Missions is in every chapter of every book in the Bible. As a matter of fact, dearly beloved, missions has often been referred to by theologians and those who write commentaries as the story of the unfolding drama of redemption. John 3.16 describes and defines the content of that drama. Here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I love that word everlasting. There's two words that describe God's life in Scripture. There's the words eternal And that describes the quality of God's life. Then there's the word everlasting, and that describes the quantity of God's life. Eternal life is the quality of God's life. It has no beginning and no end. God didn't have a beginning, and he has no end. Everlasting life, the quantity of God's life, is life with a beginning but no end. And that's what you and I have. We have both. We have the life of God, and it started the day that we got saved. And I got good news for you tonight. It's never going to end. (laughs) So, shall we ever be with the Lord? As I read this verse, it reminds me of what I heard one commentator say one time, and that is this. God had one son, and he made him a missionary. 
That's what this verse describes. This verse, as a matter of fact, dearly beloved, contains all three basic tenets of missionary preaching. For instance, number one, we have in this verse a sovereign God, a sovereign God. And can I say tonight, dearly beloved, that God not only, God not only teaches and preaches missions, God is missions. We have missions because of God. And without God, there is no mission. We have a sovereign God, as a matter of fact. He's named twice in this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave who? His only begotten son. Missions is possible. And missions is what it is because of a sovereign God. As a matter of fact, that's why we should be engaged in passing out tracts. That's why we should be engaged in sending missionaries to the foreign fields of this world as well as across our streets and down our ways because you and I have been commanded to do so by a sovereign God that loved mankind so much that he made the ultimate of sacrifices. But not only do we see a sovereign God in this verse, John 3.16, but we see a sinful world, friend. That's what missions is all about. As a matter of fact, that's why Jesus came into this world. That's why Jesus died. He came to seek and to save that which is lost, amen, Adam's fallen race. I thank God that what the first Adam lost, the second Adam regained. What the first Adam lost in disobedience, the second Adam regained in obedience, and that is espoused in this verse. (coughs) This verse is a great missionary verse. Not only because we see the tenet of a sovereign God and a sinful world, but this is a great missionary verse because we see the tenet of a sent messenger, amen. And who is that? His only begotten son. I cannot help but think of the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 where it says, it says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant and became likeness and became in the likeness of sinful men. Jesus Christ laid the robes of equality aside. He descended the stairway of time. He humbled himself and yielded himself to succumb to a human body. He lived on this earth for 33 and a half years. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. And yet he took our sin upon himself. Friend, I'm here to tell you tonight, you and I would not be saved if God missionary had not come into this world and declared the truth of the sufficiency of his salvation. So there it is. John 3.16 is most possibly the greatest missionary verse in all the scripture. 
Now, to break this verse down tonight and to make application to you and I, and that's what biblical exposition is really all about, I want to extract three words, dearly beloved, from this verse tonight, and in doing so, I want to magnify the ministry of missions. I want to magnify why the Lord has laid on your pastor's heart to lead this church into missions conferences and the grace of giving in order to send missionaries around the world. I want to magnify why we've met here on these three nights and we'll yet meet on Sunday morning. We'll take up a grace-giving offering in order, dearly beloved, not only to send missionaries around the world, but to keep them there. Those three words are thus. Number one, it's the word loved. Let me extract the word loved out of this verse. And in the word loved, I want you to see tonight the motivation for missions. The motivation for missions. I don't understand it. It doesn't even make any sense why God would love me. But know this, dearly beloved, it was God's love that motivated him to send his son. It was God's love that sent Christ to the cross of Calvary. It was God's love in Gethsemane when Jesus prayed and said, If possible, if there be any other way, Father, nevertheless, let thy will be done and not mine. And can I say, we're not going to witness like Mr. Ginor did. We're not going to send missionaries around the world. We're not going to witness at work and preach at work and in our neighborhoods and in our homes until you and I can come to the place, dearly beloved, where God's love so stirs in our hearts that we cannot withhold ourselves because we love the souls of men and we love where the, we love them dearly beloved because of that it should motivate you and I to give out the gospel message to get involved in people's lives so there is the word loved here and in the word loved we see the motivation for missions. But then I want you to notice the word gave. Underline the word gave. We have love. That's the motivation for missions. That's what motivated God. He's love. He loved mankind. He loved man whom he created. And even before Adam's sin Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God loves his creation and the crown jewel of his creation is man. But in the word gave, we see the activation for missions. For God, it was not just enough to know about it. For God, it was not just enough, dearly beloved, to talk about it. For God, dearly beloved, he was behooved and he was moved to do something about it. What was it that God 
did that opened the door for mankind to be saved? What was it that God did, dearly beloved, that culminated in my salvation and in your salvation tonight? God did one thing. He gave, amen. And you can mark it down, dearly beloved. We're not going to be able to fulfill the great commission without giving. And I'm not just talking about our money, dearly beloved. As a matter of fact, that's the least of it all. What we need to do is give our heart tonight, give ourselves tonight, and give our all tonight. Give our heart to the cause of Christ. Give our essence to the cause of Christ. Give our loyalty to the cause of Christ. Give our efforts to the cause of Christ. Listen to what Paul said about the church of Macedonia in 2 Corinthians 8. Paul is motivating these Corinthians to give and he's using the example of the Macedonian church. This is that same church that was started when Paul had a vision. And a man from Macedonia said, Come over and help us. Of course, we know the story Paul did as a result. A church was started, and it was this church, a very poor church, a very poverty-stricken church that Paul used as an example to motivate this Christian church to get involved in the grace of giving. And let me just read this because I don't want to misquote it I don't want to miss a word, but in 2 Corinthians, and I'll go over to it, chapter number 8. Listen to what Paul said about this Macedonian church. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit the grace of God, and grace here is not an element that just saves us. It's an enablement that sanctifies us. The grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, and God gave them the strength and the power to do this, how that in a great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. You know, giving is not about cash flow when it comes to money. It's about grace. Look what he says, abounded under the riches of their liberality. What Paul's saying here is they didn't hardly have anything, but it was their joy out of sacrifice to give. And they were very liberal about it. And look what it says here. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. And brother, that's where it starts. As a matter of fact, in a little bit later on, a little bit later on in in verse number 11, he says, Now therefore perform the doing of it, that is, there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance out of that which you have. It's all about the will. Is my will yielded to his will? Has Calvary conquered my will? If I reach the place in my life where it's all about what he wants and not what I want. And look what it says here. Praying, verse 4, us with much entreaty 
that we would receive the gift and take upon us and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. He's talking about their giving here. And he says this, and this they did, verse 5, not as we hope, but look at this. But first gave themselves to the Lord, their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Let me tell you something. We're not going to see the activation of missions until we learn to give. And we're not going to give, dearly beloved, until we learn that it's a matter of us giving ourselves to him and giving ourselves to the ministry of God's men. And so in the word loved, we see the motivation for missions. In the word gave, we see the activation of missions. But then in the word have, (laughs) in the word have, we see the culmination of missions. The culmination of missions. Because of God's love, God gave. And God gave so that men and women and boys and girls could have. Oh, they may not have the gold of this world and they may not have the silver of this world, but they have the lily of the valley. They have the crown jewel of glory, my friend. They have the riches of God and the riches of grace in Christ Jesus. They have. Brother, there's missions right there, Brother Kevin. That, in essence, is what missions is. God loving, God giving that man might have, amen, the motivation for missions, the activation for missions, and the culmination of missions. Right there. You know why we ought to give? We ought to give because we love souls. We ought to give because we love people. We ought to give, dearly beloved, because you and I live in a sin-cursed world. And all men that are born on the face of this earth are bankrupt spiritually, dearly beloved. And we ought to want them to have what we have. And what is it that we have? We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That is the gift of God's Son, the gift of His grace, the gift of His eternal life, a peace that passes all understanding and a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory, a blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory. Divine. We've broken it down. Now let me go back and hang a little meat on these bones. Let me talk about the motivation for missions. We see it in the word loved. I think it's important, first of all, for us to see from whom this love was initiated. I cannot help but think of Ephesians chapter 4 when it was talking about how depraved we were and how lost we were. And in verse 4 of chapter 4, it says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, With his great love wherewith he loved us. Oh, I'm so glad one day 
when my life was headed to hell, when my life was depraved and without hope, I'm so glad God butted into my life. And you know why he did? Because of his great love. That's why he sent his son to the cross of Calvary. That's why he sent a missionary to you and me. That's why he sent his word to our hearts. That's why he sent his spirit to live within us. It is only one explanation, my friend, and it doesn't make sense why God would love a sinner like me. But I rejoice in Romans chapter 5 tonight. When we were yet without strength, when we could not do anything for ourselves, Christ died for the ungodly. Mission starts with God. And this love that John 3.16 magnifies in the motivation for missions, it tells us, it teaches us from whom <coughs> this love was initiated. Is God. As a matter of fact, my friend, it's only God's love that keeps him from destroying this nation tonight. You think of where we are tonight. I'll tell you where we are. Jesus said as it was in the days of Lot, so also shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And yet as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah were, God spared Lot and his three daughters. As it was in the days of Noah, so also shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. But in chapter 6 of the verse of Genesis, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If it weren't for his love, he would destroy America tonight. America has turned its back on its creator and its God tonight. Sin abounds in this country. Why, even the church has apostatized and the Love of many is waxing cold and the only thing that is withholding the judgment hand of God is his love for his church and his love for sinners. But this verse not only magnifies from whom this love was initiated, it says for God. But it magnifies to whom this love was designated. (laughs) For God so loved who? The world. The world. Now there are though there are some in the regions of science. There are some that believe that there may be life on the moon. There are some that believes there may be life on Mars. I don't believe that for a minute. I don't believe in spaceships. I mean Sometimes I get around some people and I start hearing the theme song for the Twilight Zone. Personally, I think you've got to have a screw loose and be a half a brick shy of a load to swallow that. When he uses the world there, he's not just talking about the created world of rock and dirt. He's talking about mankind. I believe when Jesus died, he died for all mankind. 
That's why I don't believe there's life on the on Mars or on the moon. If there were, he would have gone there and died for it if there was mankind there of any intelligence whatsoever. Well, preacher, what about all these spaceships we're seeing? You've been watching a little bit too much of science theater. I'll tell you what I do believe it is. You know what the Bible calls the devil? The prince of the power of the air. He was cast down to the earth, but his region is the atmospheric heavens. That's his domain. And he will do anything, my friend, to keep you from hearing the gospel and believing the gospel. He'll even try to get you to believe in spaceships and tiny green men and life on other planets and be distracted by the scientific implications of that and overlook the fact that the only thing that's important is your eternal soul. And the only thing is important is that one day you'll stand before God. Friend, that's what behooved God to send his son in the world. That's what behooved God to love us. That's what the motivation motivation for missions is all about. Not only by whom this love was initiated, but for whom this love was demonstrated. It was for a lost and dying world. We see not only from whom it was initiated, to whom it was designated, but by whom it was demonstrated. Who was it demonstrated by? The Lord Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son. God only had one son. And this is why we know, this is another one of the reasons why we know he was virgin born. He wasn't just his only son. He was his only begotten son. In other words, my friend, he was begotten of God. His very presence, his appearance here on this earth was a result of the miracle working, acting power of God that stirred in the womb of Mary and brought him into this world in a human and fleshly body. Jesus Christ was the demonstration of God's love. When they tried him in that kangaroo court, they found no fault in him. Pilate even admitted that, dearly beloved. And yet when he hung on the cross of Calvary with his arms spread wide, he was saying to a lost and dying world, I love you with an everlasting love. I love you with an unending love. mighty tribe for his foes. He ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he ever lives to make intercession for us. We'll forget about the, the gadget that just came off my ear and is lying on my back. I don't know that I need it anyway. And you probably don't need it either. <laughs> but then there's the word gave. What, all, what set missions in motion? What made it a reality? What brought it to where it is today that we're having missions conferences? 
and that we're sending missionaries around the world. We see this, dearly beloved, in the word gave. Let me take just a moment and give you two thoughts as to how this giving was demonstrated. Number one, it was demonstrated through personal involvement. You know what I love about my salvation? God didn't source it out. God, God did it himself. It was out of his love that he sent his only son. It was out of God's love that his son came. It was out of God's love that he gave, my friends. All throughout this verse, we see very clearly, it is brilliantly magnified that, that, that God initiated personal involvement. You and I are saved tonight because God got personally involved. And I say to you tonight, that, that's, the, that's the thing I love about independent Baptist and there are other denominations, even other Baptists, that don't do it the way. And I'm not putting them down or criticizing them. But there are churches all over this land that they've never seen a real live flesh and blood missionary. And there are churches all over the world tonight that they just leave it up to their church to give a certain amount of their budget to missions. And if you look at a lot of these denominations, what we see is a lot of social type ministries, hospitals and orphanages, and not near the amount of church planning and evangelism that we need. And another problem I have with it, dearly beloved, is the support to these missionaries is taken out of the ties of God's people, and therefore they are never exposed to the grace of giving they're never exposed to the beloved what sacrifice is really all about. What I'm saying is they're never exposed to getting personally involved in giving the gospel out, personally involved in fulfilling the Great Commission. Right. Now, I'm not just talking about people who go to missions here. Nor am I just talking about people who give. I'm talking about people who pray and Get a burden for missionaries and pray for missionaries. I'm talking about people who God stirs in their heart and interest and they'll go to the mission field and, and visit missionaries. One of the things we tried to achieve in our church was, was to get our people more involved in missions than just writing a check every week. So one of the things that we did... We had, number one, a missionary prayer and action group. Every Wednesday night in my office, we had people come to my office and we'd divide the amount of our missionaries up. We had about 80 missionaries and 10 missionary outlets, about 90 missionaries in our church. And we'd divide them up among that group of people. Our mission secretary would harvest those prayer requests and every Wednesday night, we would pray for a certain segment of our missionaries. I wanted our people to get personally involved in missions. And out of that same group, we would read those letters, and part of their prayer request would 
would be needs that they had. And so we would adopt these needs and, and we would talk about how we can fulfill it. We would open it up to the church and we'd ask our people to give a little extra. Maybe to buy them a bicycle or help buy them a motorcycle or some way to facilitate their needs. And I saw the fervor of our people pick up. I, I saw their interest in missions pack. You know why? Because they weren't just giving them to some denominational institution and just hoping that it went for that purpose. They were getting personally involved in reading letters and praying for prayer requests and reaching in their pocket and giving and hearing back from those missionaries and knowing that those needs were being. And my wife came up with a brilliant idea. We call it Adopt a Missionary. We still do it. Every year, the first of the year, January, we put all our list of missionaries out. And we ask our people, we ask our people to adopt one, two, three, four, five, however many they want to adopt. Johnny and I adopt five every year. While we're on the road, our mission secretary sends us their prayer letters every month or how often they write them. When they write those letters, we give them to those people that adopt them. We ask them to pour over and pray over those mission letters. At the end of the quarter, we ask them to write them a personal note and letter. I cannot tell you the responses that we've had to that. And how many times missionaries have written back and said, thank you so much. Your letter was like a cold cup of water in a dry ground. Thank you so much. It's so good to know that somebody is personally thinking about us, personally praying for us, not just a denominational policy, but a personal involvement. That's what I'm trying to magnify to you tonight. When God gave, number one, he got personally involved. There was personal involvement. And dearly beloved, if you and I are going to get involved in missions, it's going to demand much more than just us being able to say, well, yes, our church supports missions and missionaries. Yes, but what about you? What about your involvement? What about the amount of time that you think about them and pray for them and give yourself to their needs and give yourself to knowing that they need your prayers and your assistance as they do the work of giving was not only manifested through personal involvement but this giving was manifested through sacrificial investment God gave, he got personally involved his only begotten son he invested in a lost he took out of what he had and gave it, dearly beloved, so that they might profit, sacrificial investment. In other words, it cost us something. And I'm not just talking about your ties. I'm talking about our time. I'm talking about our talents and our abilities. I'm talking about our Missions has to become more than just a roster of missionaries on a mission board. It has to become a personal involvement and a sacrificial investment. And then there's the word have. And 
in the word have, dearly beloved, we see the culmination of missions. And what does missions result in? This, this love and this giving, what does it result in? It results, dearly beloved, in mankind having. Having. I love what it says here. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Look at this. But have. What is it that sinners have when you and I give? What is it that sinners have as a result of the love of God being demonstrated through us? Well, number one, they now have a past that is abolished. I love what he says here. They should not perish. They were headed to hell. That's gone. It's over. They have a past. That is abolished. I know that song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. It talks about a missionary. How he came to our church. How his heart was moved. It talks about going to heaven and having people come up to us and say, Thank you for giving to the Lord. The truth is tonight there's a whole lot of people around the world that won't go to hell tonight. Because somebody loved and loved enough to give. There's a whole lot of people in the world tonight that have hope beyond what we're seeing today because somebody loved enough to give. There's a past that is abolished. Let me tell you something else we have. Not only a past that is abolished, but we have a present that is abundant. <laughs> I love what he says here. He says, they shall have ever." Lasting life. Go back with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to see this and then we'll just, we'll be done here in just a moment. But go back in Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to look at what we have tonight. Ephesians chapter number 4. And verse, let me get to it. Look at this. I'm sorry, it's Ephesians chapter 2, forgive me. Ephesians chapter 2. In verse number 6, he said, He hath raised us to get up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. I have not seen nor ear hath heard the things that God had prepared for them that love him. Folks, we don't just have an inheritance there. We have an inheritance here. We have a present that is abundant. I'm not just saved tonight and going to heaven, but I have a blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. I have a peace, the peace of God, and peace with God. I have a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. I have airship with Jesus Christ. He's given me his spirit. He's given me his word. He's given me the church and the fellowship of God's people. I have more than I could ever ascertain. But then what else do we have? Let me give you this and we'll be done. 
That is that you and I have a prospect that is absolute. What is it? Everlasting life. Everlasting life. Life with a beginning. But no end. Boy, I'm glad I'm saved tonight. Yes. And you know why I'm saved? Because somebody came and told me about Jesus one day. You know what that is? That's me. All around the world tonight, folk, there are people, there are lands that have no Bible. In the 1020 window, there are 365 nations that have not one copy of the Word of God in there. There's not one church in their country. There's not one missionary in their country. And these things ought not so to be. We've been given one simple command, and that is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I trust tonight. I trust tonight, dearly beloved, that not only will we, not only will we take that personally, but I trust tonight, dearly beloved, that we'll get involved. And I'm not just talking about in sending missionaries to the foreign field, but in the fields where we live and the places where we exist. That we get involved in telling the old, old story. Be a Mr. Ginner. Take a gospel track. And just ask a simple question, sir. Where would you go if you died tonight? You'd be surprised at what kind. You'd be surprised, dearly beloved, at what kind of results that may gender as a man contemplates these truths in his heart. Let's bow our heads in prayer tonight. We're going to be dismissed here in just a moment. I appreciate you coming tonight. I appreciate your intention, your attention this evening. I trust that our hearts have been burdened. I trust that our hearts have been moved towards the Great Commission tonight. I love missions because missions is not just a ministry of the church. It is the ministry of the church. And I trust we'll embrace that and that that will become our joy and that will be our pleasure. Father, bless your word tonight. We thank you for it. We thank you for this church, this pastor, these people. We pray that you might feed them and strengthen them and prepare us, Lord, for the task at hand. Help us, dear Lord, to give more than lip service towards these truths, but to give our hearts. We'll give you the thanks and praise, Father, for we ask it in Jesus' sweet and precious name tonight. Amen. And amen, Brother Kevin.